We want to thank our church family for being present and involved in supporting REFCON, Reformation Conference 2022, last week. I'm grateful to God for all of those who attended and especially the brothers who preached the Word of God faithfully. It was a great encouragement to all of us and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I will admit, though, that prior to last weekend, one of the things that I wanted to accomplish in my life before the Lord took me home or takes me home is to preach a whole sermon in Spanish. So I've been secretly trying to work on my Spanish behind the scenes, but then Reformation Conference happened last weekend, and now my goal is to preach a whole sermon in Scottish. But I need to perfect English before I can preach in Scottish. But we're grateful to Brother Briggs. Thank you for your kindness and faithfulness and benevolence towards him to bless him and his family for being away from his family and his church family to bless all of us. Let me pray for us before we get started. Father, we're grateful that you hear us because of Christ. Be with us now. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, help your servant to preach your word faithfully, to bring glory to your great and mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever made a promise and you've never fulfilled that promise? Let me state it a different way. Have you ever made a promise that you intentionally had no desire to fulfill that promise? I think some of us may be guilty of that. It reminds me of a story of a wealthy oil tycoon. This oil tycoon was on his deathbed, and his pastor was by his side, and the pastor said, you know, God heals. And the tycoon said, Pastor, if God heals me, I promise to give the church a million dollars. And then three weeks later, this oil tycoon was healed. He was discharged from the hospital and no word and no sign of this oil tycoon. Then the pastor runs into the oil tycoon at the local Walmart and the pastor says to the oil tycoon, brother, do you remember when you were in the hospital and you were sick and you were about to die? You promised that you would give a million dollars to the church if the Lord healed you. By the way, the church has not received the million dollars. And the oil tycoon said, did I say that? That goes to show you how sick I was, pastor. So this oil tycoon, unknowingly or maybe knowingly, made a promise, which was a false promise or an empty promise. In general, sinful humanity makes all sorts of empty promises every day. And should we expect any less? They make promises in public or in private. They have no real motivation to fulfill their word or their promise. And do we expect spiritually dead people who are physically alive, yet physically or spiritually dead, to fulfill their promises? What is their motivation to do so? If they're spiritually dead, they have zero motivation to hold true to their word. However, we as Christians have a great motivation to hold to our word and to our promise. And that is the glory of God. 
We serve the true and living God, the Almighty God. And for those of us who are born again, we should never make false promises or empty promises. True Christians are to think and talk and act biblically. They are to do so for the glory of Christ. We are called to fulfill our promises. And I pray that if that's us, we would see the seriousness of any promise, whether we think it's a major promise or a minor promise, that we are people of the word, that we are people, men and women of integrity, that what we say we will do. We are to honor our promises because God is watching us. God is listening to us. And God knows our true intention behind every promise. But let's say there's some of us in here this morning that have made multiple false promises. That's just our habit. Pastor, it's just a little lie. It's just a, it's a white fib, right? It's a half a truth. Well, in God's eyes, that's a full lie. But if that's any of us, I hope that we would repent. And to repent practically means that we have a godly sorrow for our sin that we are misleading other people. That's number one. But number two, to repent biblically in a very real manner is to be intentional about the truth. That we are truth bearers. That we are truth tellers. That we say the truth and we live the truth. That's what it means to repent. So for the person who has a terrible habit of lying and making false promises and say, well, I feel bad, but never biblically repents, that person is just remorseful. They're not repenting. They're just, they feel bad. Not bad enough to do what's right, though. And so why should we obey the truth? Why should we speak the truth? Well, one reason is in God's law in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The sin of false witness is that of distorting the facts in such a way as to harm one's neighbor. If you actually study that verse, what it really means is that we are not going to harm another person's reputation. So what's the positive of that? The positive of that is we're going to protect our neighbor's reputation. We're not going to slander them. We're not going to misrepresent them. We're not going to put words in their mouth. We're going to ask clarifying questions to understand what they really say and what they really mean. But we're not going to slander. We are people of the book. So I don't have a lot of time to go over this commandment but simply put we as christians understand this verse as you shall not lie that's how we learn this verse or this commandment we shall not lie the bible is very clear that we should not lie period almighty god is the true and living god it is impossible for god to lie you and i as human beings we have a human nature and in our human nature, we have the ability to tell the truth sometimes, and we also have the ability to not tell the truth. In God's nature, God's holy nature, 
He can only tell the truth. Why? Because he is the truth. And so what he reveals to us in his word, you can take it all the way to the Bank of America and deposit that check. Our God is the God of truth. He is not the God of chaos. But Satan, in the Bible, in John chapter 8, the Bible describes Satan as the liar and the father of all what? Lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. And consistent lying is a clear characteristic of the unregenerate consistent line is a clear characteristic of the unregenerate meaning non-christians to consistently live a sinful life with no godly sorrow indicates that satan is your father not god the holy god again the consistent Sinful life with no godly sorrow is characteristic and indicates that Satan is your father, not God, the Holy Father. And so the main idea that I want to get across today is this, and it's in your bulletins. Biblical Christians must have God-glorifying integrity. Biblical Christians must have God-glorifying integrity integrity we are people of the book we are not people of this world even though we live in this world god has snatched you by his great power and sovereign grace and saving grace and he's taken you out of the realm of darkness and he's placed you in the marvelous light of jesus christ and therefore live as people of the book so today's sermon if you're wondering what this is all about today's sermon is about lawful oaths and vows. Lawful oaths and vows. Really, chapter 23 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. It's the 1689. And you'll see a little bulletin insert, probably within your hands, of this chapter. I don't have time to go into this chapter, and I don't want you to focus too much on this handout because then you'll get lost in the sermon as I move forward. I'm not interested in preaching the 1689 this morning, but I would encourage you to have a copy of the 1689. Why? Because it's a good resource to have in your library. It's a good resource to have in your hands. It's an accurate summary of what the Bible teaches. Is it on the same level as the Bible? The answer is no. The Bible is on the same level as the Bible. The 1689 was written by fallible men. That's why you need to be Berean-like and test these things if they be true. But it's a good resource, and I hope that you'll read it later on. Really, today's sermon was motivated by session number three, which was preached by Pastor Ed last weekend about what is church membership. What is church membership? If you want to listen to that sermon, it's posted on YouTube. And I highly recommend that you watch it. And as a matter of fact, if you're a member of First Baptist Church of the Lakes and you missed any part of the weekend or most of the weekend or all the weekend, bad on you. I'm praying for you. But you need to watch all six sessions because it's going to be a great blessing to your soul. So one of the ideas here is church membership 
the idea, the biblical idea of church membership in a local church is deeply connected to oaths and vows. Is deeply connected. And we need to see this in how it affects our Christian lives. So you should be at Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. And it says this, If a man vows a vow to who? To the Lord. Or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, there are two key words in this verse that I want to bring to your attention. The word vow and the word oath. Vow and oath. Both are solemn promises. Both are promises, by the way. They're solemn promises. They're divinely sanctioned, meaning they're authoritatively approved by God and are to be kept faithfully. Promises are to be kept faithfully. And the Bible makes a distinction between these two words of vows and oaths. And before I move forward, I need to define these two words so that we're on the same page together. The word vow, you're going to see this in your bulletin, is the Hebrew word neder. And neder means it's a solemn promise, but it's made to who? Made to the Lord. So a vow is a solemn promise made to the Lord to do something or to behave in a certain way. And if this pledge or promise is not kept, then there will be negative consequences. And the purpose of a vow is commitment. The purpose of a vow is commitment. Now, we understand vows. On this platform in the year of our Lord, 2004, I made a vow in public before 300 witnesses that I would take care of my beloved bride as my wife. And I vowed that I would love her and protect her and serve her until death do us part. We understand vows. The problem with vows today is we live in a culture that quickly degrades vows. And so I made a vow to her. And if I do not hold to that vow, what's going to happen? A couple things. A divorce, a broken marriage, a broken relationship with my kids and potentially grandkids, a destroyed family. You know, lots of people get divorced for all sorts of reasons, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side. And then when they get to the other side, they realize it's not green, it's purple. I'm colorblind. And now I made a legal decision that affects my ex-wife now and all my children, all my posterity, and all my seed from this point forward. And everybody's broken along the way, and there's devastation and broken hearts along the way. So if I don't hold true to my wedding vow... We understand that there's negative repercussions. Now, let's talk about an oath. An oath is similar but different. The word oath is the Hebrew word shebua, and that word is a solemn promise. Here's the difference made to men. 
When you make a promise to me and I make a promise to you, that's not technically a vow. It could be a vow, but you're making the promise to me and I to you, which is an oath. That's the difference. A vow is to God, an oath is to mankind. And so it's a solemn promise made to men, usually invoking the name of the divine witness. The divine witness is God, the Lord our God. And it details what will happen in the future. I'm making a promise to you that I will live a certain way in the future. I'm going to do something. I'm going to live and behave in a certain manner. And if I don't do that, there's also penalties. There's also consequences if I don't hold true to that. And the purpose of an oath is confirmation. The purpose of an oath is confirmation. There's all sorts of oaths. We can make all sorts of oaths, right? I remember when I was commissioned and went back into the military, they made me raise my right hand. Do you promise, as you take this oath of office, to defend the United States of America from all enemies, foreign and domestic? I had to raise my right hand and take that oath and say yes. But there's also other oaths, like financial oaths. So if I... As a human being, make a financial oath to my brother, Brother Sprinkle over there, and I say, Brother, I promise you $1,000. I'm going to give you $1,000, and I'm invoking the name of God. As God is my witness, Brother Sprinkle, I'm going to give you $1,000. You know, this is for hypothetical purposes, but because <laughs> he, he's smiling over there. He's like, this is how I make my truck payment. for illustration purposes. <laughs> so God is my witness. And if I don't hold true to that, then there are negative repercussions. Right? And what are some of those negative repercussions? Brother Sprinkle's going to look at Pastor Rolo as he's the man that makes promises and breaks promises. Therefore, he's not trustworthy. He's not responsible. He's a liar. I think you understand where I'm going with this. So again, a vow is a promise made to the Lord. An oath, oath is a promise made to mankind, but as God, as the witness. And both are to be taken seriously because it comes with consequences. Now, before I get into chapter 23 of lawful oaths and vows in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I need to give all of us some historical background so you understand why or what is happening. The major issue during that time frame of the 1500s was the abuse of oaths and vows. In other words, everybody was making promises, but nobody was following through. And so there was abuse of oaths and vows, and the issue also was, is that oath and vow lawful or unlawful? Lawful or unlawful? Hence, now, the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists refused at that time in the 1500s to, to take any sort of oath or any sort of vow because there was an abuse of all of that during that time frame, and rightfully so. The word Anna in Greek means again, and if you put Anna in front of Baptist, that means you got baptized again, Anabaptist. 
to be baptized again. And Anabaptists believed that only those who repent, meaning they turn away from sin, and they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, only those qualify for baptism. So that does not apply to infants. Why? Because an infant cannot repent. And if an infant cannot repent, they are not a qualified candidate for baptism. That's what the Anabaptists believe, and we are, we believe in that, that it's only for those who repent and trust in Jesus, only for genuine believers. So what is this actually saying historically? Well, in 1525, the Council of Zurich came down with an edict, an order, and they told all the people of that time that you are to baptize your babies on the eighth day. Eight days after birth, they are to be baptized in the church, otherwise face banishment. You will be kicked out of the state. You will be kicked out of the territory. You have no connection with the church whatsoever. And so there were two leaders by the name of Conrad Grebel and Felix Manns who were teaching Bible studies at that time. And the state came down, the city council of Zurich, told these two men, you are not allowed to teach Bible studies anymore. Baptize your infants or face consequences. Now, if you're a Christian during that time frame, what are you going to do? You have the strongest political government of that region tell you what to do, and if you don't obey, you will be separated forever. So, they only baptized those who exercised faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thus, the Anabaptists were born in 1525. Second Chronicles 6, 22, talks about what God is going to do with those who make oaths. And this is very important, very important to listen to. Because the Word of God says this, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 22. If a man sin against his brother, or I'm sorry, his neighbor, and is made to take an oath, and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. So the context of this is the ark has now been brought into the temple. And now Solomon is blessing Israel and he's praying a prayer of dedication. And what is Solomon saying in his prayer as he prays to God? He's praying to God. He said, God, Lord, when your people sin against you and they pray towards you in this place, then hear, act, and forgive. So King Solomon knows well in advance that the people are stiff-necked people. They love their sin. They make a profession of faith to God, and in less than 24 hours, they're sinning against God with their idol worship. He says, Lord, hear from heaven and forgive. Then he goes on to say in verse 22, when a man, by the way, this applies to women, when the person sins against his neighbor and takes an oath, and swears his oath before the altar at the temple, 
and hear. Then he says, repay the guilty by bringing his conduct on his or her head. Meaning, this person made an oath. In reality, it was a false oath. Therefore, bring his conduct on his head is language for judge them for lying. Judge them for lying. Or, if they make an oath, they fulfill their oath, that's a true oath, God here from heaven reward them for telling the truth. So, we understand what King Solomon is doing here. And so, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 22, presents a situation when one sins and takes an oath. But if you read the Gospels in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says something a little bit different. Matthew 5, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. That's verse 34. But then you jump to verse 37, and he says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Some translations state comes from the evil one. So either your yes has integrity, and you say yes, or your no actually means no, which has integrity, but anything else comes from the evil one. In other words, you make a promise and you break your promise, and you're a liar. James 5, verse 12, fundamentally says the same thing that Matthew 5 says, what Jesus says in that gospel. So what are we to make of this? As Christians, as people of the book, are we to make oaths and vows or not make oaths and vows? Because it seems like there's a tension here. And here's the short answer to that question. And I'm quoting a reformer. He says, Jesus condemns all vain, which is empty, promises. For God's name in oaths in order to secure credit for our words, while avoiding the obligation of absolute honesty. Did you hear that? Jesus is not condemning all oaths and all vows. Jesus is condemning false oaths and false vows. He's condemning oaths that use the name of God. So when I say, Brother Sprinkle, I promise to give you $1,000 as God as my witness. What am I doing? I'm, I'm committing myself to something that in my heart, down deep in my heart, I have no intention of ever doing. And I'm using God's name as a way to impress Brother Sprinkle. That's wrong. It's wrong. Another reformer says it like this. What we have here in Matthew 5 is the condemnation of the flippant, profane, uncalled for, and often hypocritical oath used in order to make an impression and to spice daily conversation. So what we do is we make false promises, false oaths and vows, using God's name to make ourselves sound good and feel good. It's actually a prideful thing. It's wrong. So Jesus is against false oaths and vows using God's name. 
God is holy. I stated it before and I'll say it a thousand times, a million times till God calls me home and I have no more air in my lungs. God is holy and because God is holy, he cannot lie. It's impossible for our God to lie. So trust him. Obey him. Honor him. Bring glory to his name. Quit living for yourself and live for him, the one motivated by love, sent his son for you. The one who lived and died for you. Do you not, do we not owe him our lives? We do. It's impossible for God to lie. So to make a false promise and a false oath with no intention to fulfill it is to intentionally lie by using God's name. And God's name is precious and valuable and worthy of all glory. Psalm 24, verse 4, says this, Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully? The question is, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? That's the main question. And in Psalm 24, by David David is describing this great king, the king of glory. And he goes on in verse 1 and he says, The earth and the universe and all that it contains belongs to the creator, belongs to God. And the question is, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? That's verse 3. And he answers that rhetorical question. And he says, the one who has clean hands. In other words, the one who has righteous actions. Hands are to be used for action. The one who has righteous actions. And then the verse goes on to say, and a pure heart. What does that mean? The one with righteous thoughts and motives. So righteous thoughts and motives, righteous actions, that is the one who can ascend to the hill of the Lord because he's holy and glorious. It's not the one who lifts up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully is the one who sees the Lord in his holiness and his greatness. But the one who is false is not going to ascend to the Lord. Leviticus 19, verse 10. Leviticus 19, verse 10 says this. I am the Lord, your God. It's very clear who the Lord is and who he's talking to. He's talking to his people. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Therefore, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. What is God saying about himself? God's saying his name is greater than any name in the universe. Be careful how you use it. That's what he's saying. The author is talking about the holiness of God. He says, you, Israel, shall be holy in this chapter. Why should God's people be holy? Answer, because God is holy. For I am holy, therefore you be holy. It goes on in verse 9 and verse 10. Love your neighbor by what? 
by making sure that when you reap the fields, meaning when you bring in the harvest, the season of harvest, when you bring it in, don't harvest all the way to the border. Don't, don't harvest all the way to the edge. Leave the edges for the poor. Leave the edges for the poor. And then in verse 10 and 12, he says, I am the Lord, your God. This is how you love your neighbor. The way you love your neighbor is you don't lie. How you love your neighbor is you don't deal deceitfully. How you love your neighbor is you don't swear by my name. That's how you love your neighbor. Is that amazing? Because when we think about loving our neighbor, we think about what we can do for them. But really, in this verse, it also contains what we do for God. We are not to use his name falsely. So God's people are not to have any sort of deceit at all, especially when it deals with promises. You know, in the Bible, a person's name means something. A person's name means something. The person's name is the person's character. So, for example, in the Old Testament, we know the name is Caleb. There's several Caleb's in this congregation. In Hebrew, that's Kalev. Kalev is the heart. And if you understand Caleb in the Old Testament, he was the one with heart or courage, boldness as he obeyed God. Despite the challenge. So God is holy. He cannot lie. And so God's name means something. We are not to use God's name in any other way but to honor his name. And to use God's name in a deceptive way is to lie about God and to make you and I a liar. So should Christians obey and fulfill every oath and every vow. So we need to talk about what are lawful oaths and lawful vows. Some oaths are not oblig- obligatory. Some oaths are not obligatory. Why? Because if you make an oath to sin, Nowhere on God's green earth, at no time, under no circumstance, under no condition, are you to vow yourself or oath yourself to sin. You're not allowed to do that. It's never right to break God's word. It's never right to break God's law. It's never right to sin under any circumstance. It's not right. It's sinful and evil. And so when we think of biblical examples of vows, we should think of Psalm 76, verse 11. 76, verse 11, which says this. The psalmist says, Make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. This is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph looks to the Lord as majestic and glorious. And the question that Asaph writes in the psalm is this, who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? In other words, Asaph, the psalmist, understands that when God judges, he judges perfectly. And when he judges, it's awesome. Meaning, it's perfect. No one can ever accuse God of judging incorrectly. So his judgment 
is awesome. And when he judges, he is worthy of praise. Why? Because he will judge the evil and the wicked. He will do what is right. And so then the psalmist goes on to say, when you make your promise and vow to the Lord, your God, and perform them. In other words, you need to be very careful. When you make a promise before God, fulfill it. If you don't, there's consequences. Again, let me reiterate. Under no circumstance are you to make an oath or a promise before God to sin. So when your Christian brother and sister says, hey, let's go rob the local casino, I know that sounds elementary, but I'm making that point or that statement for a point. Of course, we should say no. Because the Bible is very clear, thou shalt not steal. So how should we apply lawful oaths and lawful vows? Well, hence, Pastor Ed's sermon, session number three, what is church membership? Because church membership, if you understand what church membership is, it's this, is that God has led you to a gospel-centered church And you believe this church to be faithful to the Word of God. And what does that mean? They open up the Bible. They read the Bible. They teach and preach the Bible faithfully in context. They sing the Bible. They pray the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They talk about the Bible. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So church membership is this. I am committing to this local body of Christian believers for my own soul's sake, that they would watch over my soul in Christian love, they would pray for me, serve me, help me when I need help, and I will do the same for them. And when we do that together, biblically, we honor Christ. And let me reiterate or repeat something that Pastor Corey loves to say all the time. The Christian life was never a solo project. If you understand the Christian life, you're going to have struggles every day or every other day. All God's people should say amen to that, right? You will have struggles, temptations to sin. Your pride's going to flare up. You're going to be angry and bitter at someone. You're going to say and do things that are sinful, evil, and wicked. And you know that in your own heart. You're just unwilling to admit it. So what help has God provided for you and me to grow in grace and mature in the faith, hate sin and have accountability and serve the church? So for those of you, please hear me carefully because I'm saying this in Christian love. For those of you who are not a member, be a member. And those of you who are a member, get involved and serve. Get involved and serve. So I want to connect church membership to our church covenant. When you became a member, by the way, this is what you promised. Okay. Now the church, I need to say this, the church did not make you a Christian. God did by his grace. He saved you by his grace through faith alone in Christ alone. 
That's how you became a Christian, if you are a Christian. But if you are to serve in a gospel church as Baptists, we believe that we admit members into a gospel-centered church for those who provide a reliable profession of faith. We didn't say a perfect profession of faith. We said a reliable profession of faith. That means that when somebody comes to us and say, I follow Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior, and I want to be part of this church family and serve him by serving you. Pastor Rollo does not have the unilateral authority in and of myself to accept you as a member and dismiss you as a member. I don't have that authority. I am not the Pope. I'm not trying to be the Pope. But the church receives members and dismisses members. That's historic Baptistic doctrine. It's the church that affirms that. And so for those of you who voluntarily submitted yourself to this church, you submitted yourself to accountability, to service when you officially joined. Let me remind you of a few things that is in our Constitution and bylaws. You had to read this and sign off on this and date this when you became a member of this church. And let me read a few things. It says this. Point number two. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. To walk together means that we are together. You help me, and I help you. One other point is this, to promote an environment of expectation for spiritual growth and maturity. We promote an environment of expectation for spiritual growth and maturity. That's why we have D groups. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have teachings and preaching and everything else that goes with it. We have an environment here albeit not perfect, but committed to the Word of God to do this so that you would grow in spiritual or spiritual truth and doctrine and maturity. It says this also, to maintain family and secret devotions. Don't you want to do that if you are a Christian? To maintain family and secret devotions? Have family time, Bible time with your kids or your grandkids? To educate our children in the Christian faith? to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. Here's a big one. To avoid all gossip, backbiting, and excessive anger. Now, if that's you, you're prone to do that, that's your proclivity to do those type of sins, how are you going to kill that sin without a church? See, if you get offended by the slightest drop of one single word, Pastor Rollo offended me. Okay, there's times that I do, but not intentionally. I'm trying to be faithful to the word of God. What's really happening behind the scenes on a spiritual level is the Holy Spirit takes the words that I'm preaching, drives them deep down in your heart, and convicts you of your sin. That's what's actually happening. And so people leave for the slightest offense. 
You wouldn't do that in your biologically blood-related families. You see your family that you disagree with many times at the next family reunion or the next Thanksgiving dinner or the next Christmas meal or the next birthday party. You're willing to put up with them who don't know Jesus. They don't know the difference between God and a goat. But yet you're willing to spend time with them. Help me understand that. And then in the church, we say, I promise to serve you. You promise to serve. Pastor Ed, you said I was bald. <laughs> I'm out of here. How dare you? I know you're not laughing at me. You're laughing with me. <laughs> Let me go on quickly. To watch over one another in brotherly, brotherly love. To watch one another. How do we do that apart from the church? To remember one another in prayer. How do we do that apart from the church? To aid one another in sickness and distress. How do we do that apart from the church? To cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling, courtesy in speech. To avoid giving offense. To be slow to take an offense. But to be quick and ready to reconcile and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. To reconcile brothers and sisters together quickly. How do you do that apart from the church? Because if you get to do whatever you want to do, you will never grow in holiness and maturity. Because Jesus Christ didn't die for the whole world. Oh, Pastor Roll, what about John 3.16? It's the one who believes right now is the one who shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the one who believes right now. That's a present tense verb. Two verses later, the one who doesn't believe is condemned already. I don't need to condemn you. Simply by the virtue of you not believing in Jesus Christ as the only Son of God and the only Savior, you've condemned yourself. So, when we think about this, when you became members and you signed off on this, you promised to be part of the family until God, in his strange but kind providence, decides to move you on for biblical reasons. Biblical reasons. So, when you joined the church, you vowed to the Lord that you would live in a Christian community called the church, be involved, and serve. When you did that, you promised to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be involved. Are you holding true to your vow to God? You should be looking for every excuse to serve others instead of looking for every excuse to serve yourself. If you're born again. If you're not born again, I don't expect you to serve others. I really don't. Those who are spiritually dead cannot serve those who are spiritually alive. So if you're not doing this, if you're not fulfilling your Christian responsibility as an official member of First Baptist Church of the Lakes, you're lying. And you need to repent. Today. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. And if you know you are doing everything for yourself and not for the church, then you need to repent. God saved you for a reason. God brought you here for a reason. God gave you a desire to honor Christ here for a reason. Don't be a spiritual nomad. 
where you go from church to church and hop and hop and hop to church. That's popular in America. That's very, very popular. Unbiblical. If you can show me from the Bible that that's actually approved of by God, then I'll listen to you. But it's not biblical at all. But wherever you go, whether it's this church or another church that's gospel-centered, you must be involved in. You must commit and you must serve. You must. Ladies, please hear me out. If you're dating a man who says, I want to date you for the next possibly four, five, six years, and then I'll marry you. And then four, five, six years pass, you're ready for the engagement ring, and the man says, I'm still thinking through this. Would you consider that a real commitment? All the Christian sisters should say, no way, Jose, right? No offense to my brother Jose, right? (laughs) You would never date a man who's not willing to commit to you long term. What makes relationships special is when there's commitment. I'm with you and you're with me till death do us part. Commitment. Now, which leads to another way to apply this, marriages. Husbands, listen to the word of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are called by God, as God as your witness, is to live for God by serving your wife in a selfless, sacrificial way. That's what you're called to do. Are you being faithful in that? Wives, you made a vow to honor and respect your husband by following his lead through godly submission, not for his sake, but for the Lord's sake, unto the Lord. You submit as unto the Lord. And if you're not honoring your wedding vows, then both husband and wife need to repent. And if you're struggling, please listen to me. If the Lord loves you and he's given you Christ and he's given you a godly wife or a godly husband and you're having struggles right now and you don't know what to do and how to maneuver through this, then you need to talk to one of the pastors here and let us help you and walk through the Bible. There's always hope in the gospel. There's always hope in the gospel. Sometimes we just need to get rid of our pride and get out of our own way and ask for help and humble ourselves and ask, Pastor, please help me. There's another way to apply this text. When you applied for a job and you got hired for a job and you signed your name to show up Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, You made an oath to another human being as God is your witness. So to consistently, as a Christian, show up late, leave early, take a three-hour lunch, and never really get any work done, you actually are dragging God's name through the mud right now. 
And so when people say, the church is full of hypocrites, that's one reason why they say that. Now, they need to be careful what they say about Christ's bride because there's a positive side to that as well. But as people of the book, when it comes to work, Pastor Ed talk about, talked about taxes. We should, people, we should be people who have integrity, who are honest. I'm not interested in simply all of us honoring every single vow and every single oath perfectly. I'm not interested in you being religious zealots or being Pharisees or Sadducees or good moral people. We do this because God saved us and we're called to live for him and everything we say and do is for God's glory. So our motivation to honor all lawful oaths and vows must be the glory of God. And to do otherwise is to take the name that is above every single name and to drag it through the mud. We can't do that anymore, God's people. We need to be people that the unsaved world, they look to us and they say, there's something different about them. They talk about this man, Jesus, all the time, this Jewish Messiah. We need to be good witnesses. We are Christians, are we not? Are we not the ones that God, motivated by love, sent forth his son? Christ Jesus left the glory of heaven humbled himself, took on flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Did we not? He's the one who provided perfect righteousness for us by his perfect life, that he never broke any of God's laws at all. And that righteous life is given to us as a righteous robe that we take off this robe of sin and we put on the robe of righteousness that can only come from Jesus Christ and we believed unto him for salvation that there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ and it's because of Jesus that we are made right with God we are forgiven forever past present and future of all sins God loves us with a great and perfect love God is holy God says be holy for I am holy are we not to live a certain way yes we are so if you're not a member of first baptist church of the lakes be a member don't you think it's time don't you want to grow in grace and mature in the faith and those of you who are members who've been passive for months passive for years it's time to get involved again it's time to recommit again don't buy into the American dream of, well, Pastor Rolo, I'm retirement age. I'm not against retirement, so don't put words in my mouth. I am not against retirement. I'm against the American dream that pulls you away from Jesus. That's what I'm against. There's very few people in this world, historically speaking, that can make a lot of money and hold on to Jesus at the same time. 95% of the time, we can't. But if you're not a member, what's stopping you from being a member? What is your biblical reason to not be involved? What's your biblical reason to not commit all the way? 
you know, you need to talk to one of the pastors. We want to talk to you. It'd be our great joy and hope and blessing to talk to you. We want you to be part of us. We want you to be part of us. Be part of us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as I close, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And listen to this, God's people. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than, to, than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. What do we get from Ecclesiastes? Be careful what you say. Be careful what you promise. Because God hears from heaven and he's going to hold each and every one of us accountable. God knows our motivation. God knows when we're being truthful or not. We're not called to sin. We're to be people who are holy. In all that we do, in all that we say. Proverbs 19.22 says this, It's better to be a poor man or woman than a liar. So will you commit membership Will you recommit to the oath that you made to this church and the vow that you made to God? God hears, God knows. You can lie to me, but you can't lie to God. So sermon in a sentence. Christians, honor the Lord as glorious. And when we honor our lawful oaths and vows. That's how we honor the Lord. When we honor what we say we will do. If you're not a Christian and you have questions about what it takes to be a Christian, come talk to one of us. We'd love to talk to you about the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we heard a hard and difficult word this morning, but Lord, we're grateful that your word is true. You're the God of truth. You cannot lie. And yet you saved us for your glory. Lord, forgive us where we have failed you and sinned against you, O God, in word and thought and deed. Help us now to be men and women of integrity, that everything we say and do brings glory to your great and wonderful name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.